0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied Das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen
1: zieht Kommt Hello and welcome to Gig Impressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Bryce Dunn. And before we get into it, Let's go over the weekend's results. So, on Friday night, we've seen Wolfsburg move up to 8th with a victory a 2-0 victory over Nuremberg. into Saturday, Bayern continued to improve a 4-0 victory over Hanover. A bit of a shock A Stuttgart scored 2, from Mario Gomez that is, uh, beating Hertha 2-1. Um, moving on then, we've seen it all is even between Osberg and Schalke 1-1. Fortuna moved off the uh, bottom of the table up to 16th with a 2-0 win over Freiburg. All was even again, 0-0 between Hoffenheim and Gladbach. Late kickoff game was Borussia Dortmund 2, Werner Bremen 1. That sees Dortmund now nine points clear at the top of the table. Very impressive stuff. On Sunday, RB Leipzig 4-1. There was a brace from Timo Werner and Poulsen in that game. Uh, very impressive ones as well, from what I hear. Final game of the weekend, seeing Eintracht Frankfurt get back to winning ways after two defeats, 2-1 two, over Leverkusen. So, joining me on this English week, yes, that means it's going to be midweek games, is Manu Vett. Manu, how are you?
2: Oh, I'm very good. How about you, Bryce?
1: Yeah, pretty good. It was an enjoyable weekend. And uh, before we've even got into the midweek games, um, when we've only got two games left in the Bundesliga, don't we? Before the uh, winter break and before Christmas. We've also had a Champions League draw as well, which is very exciting times, um, especially as we're an English speaking podcast, two of us English based. And we've seen English teams, um, draw against German size three. Fixture, so we've got plenty to talk about today, don't we?
2: Lots to talk about,
1: it's very, very exciting. We'll whiz through everything I I feel today. But joining Manu and I is Chris Williams. Chris, um, rather good weekend for the English based um, German coaches, wasn't it? In Klopp and Hassenhutel,
3: yes, it was a real good start to life. Um, for Ralf Hassenhutel over at Southampton, had a very difficult game. Um, against Cardiff I think I spoke to a Southampton podcast about this I think that game came a little too soon for him but yeah he's certainly got the players playing the way he wants them to play, great result against Arsenal and then yeah Jürgen Klopp did well uh, Liverpool beating Manchester United comprehensively uh, but I think it's all about this Champions League draw Bryce what a draw it is, um, Schalke Man City, um, Dortmund Tottenham which I was at last season and uh, Liverpool Bayern, backstories everywhere
1: yeah, plenty for us to report as we go into that stage of the competition, but I, I suppose we will be covering that uh, you know, in the next um, well, 45 to to 60 minutes. But um, let's talk about the uh, Bundesliga first, and Manu will go to you and uh, talk about uh, Bayern. Bayern hammering uh, Hanover, and well, they're they're doing their best, aren't they, to improve? Now they've got three victories in a row and to keep up with with Dortmund.
2: What well, they do pretty much the only thing they can do at this stage, and this is to to win games, right? Uh, the, the gap is quite substantial. As yes, you mentioned, it, it's nine points. Um, Bayern are not uh, second, they're third, right, in the standings. Um, they have, I feel, shown signs of improvement, and they were very impressive in this game um, against Hannover. I thought that was possibly their best performance since Niko Kovac has taken over. And <laughs> just to maybe... Just to take a look at some of these statistics, um, the total shots were 33 to three. I mean, this is this is like a ice hockey amount of a, a shots that teams have in hockey, right? They had 14 shots on target, um, 14 corner kicks. Uh, they missed big. They missed three of the big chances. They had 24 shots inside the box, Bryce. I mean, those numbers are just insane. <laughs> Um, 72% ball possession. I mean, that's quite normal Bayern stuff. But yeah, they absolutely dominated this Hannover side. Um, Hannover never, ever really had a chance to get anything out of this game. Um, I think the only caveat I had maybe that was that the one time Hannover did get up front, it was right away a chance for them. And as poor as this Hannover side is, you always have the feeling that whenever a team produces a chance against this Bayern side, they almost always score or have a very good chance to score. And that is something that, you know, that would worry me when it comes to going down the road. I mean, not every opposition will be like Hanover.
1: Well, that's what we've talked this season plenty about, um, how Hanover have been rather poor, What we say? That's me being kind. But yeah, when you said kind. stats, <laughs> <laughs> when you say stats like that, it, it sounds like we're back on our Liga MX, our Mexican football podcast. You know, it, it sounds that crazy, doesn't it? But, Last week we mentioned that they had now created a, a double pivot in midfield with with Kimmich in midfield rather than being, you know, as as maybe a right back or maybe even a left back. Uh, you said that this is possibly their best performance so far under Kovac. Was it similar with that double double pivot or or have they changed it once again? What what's made the difference?
2: Yeah, so Thiago's back, and I think. Think that you know the injured players coming back for Bayern is is really helping them. Uh, Kingsley Coman is back. Serge Gnabry is finding his form. Um, Thiago is now back, and we all know what sort of player he can be when he's fit. Um, and I mean, the big problem with Thiago is it doesn't happen often. So with Thiago back, what they did, they put Goretzka and Thiago as a double pivot. And Chris explained this very well last week, right? As in a double pivot, you have one player holding back and one player going forward. Now, with, against a team that's as defensive as Hannover, where you don't really need a defensive player on that double pivot, right? Because the, what, what are they going to do? Um, they're not going to overwhelm your defense, not the way they were playing. And plus, if you then move back, um, Kimmich to the right back, he was playing as a right back, but he was, he was allowed to roam so much, um, on that position because Hannover gave him so much room that you could find him quite center quite a bit. Uh, same was true for David Alaba. So in this case, the double pivot was very attacking minded, right? Because Thiago and Goretzka were both given the room to go forward. And uh, I mean, I, I have some of the the numbers, um, Tiago's numbers that is, and it's, it's just, it sounds like, I mean, when you look at it, he had 137 passes, um, played accurately, so 97.2% accuracy in his passes. He played 18 long balls, 16 of them found their target. He had 8 successful triple attempts um out of 8. So this is, you know, when we talk about Navy Keita, remember when Klopp said um, that year that Navy Keita was the best in the Bundesliga, he said Thiago and Keita, they were the two best players, and in Thiago, they have someone like Navy Cater, who was able to not just control the ball, but also take the ball and triple forward and become almost like an attacking player. And against a side like Hannover that's only defensive minded, they can afford to play Goretzka and Thiago in that role.
1: And Chris, I mean, if, if we go to you, I mean, for anyone that's, you know, Manu's obviously saying just how good Thiago is, uh, You, know, we've seen him play, you know, for years in the Bundesliga, but for anybody that's, unfamiliar with him or, or maybe just tuning into the uh, the Bundesliga. What, what exactly type of player is he and what does he offer that maybe some other players doesn't? He's obviously more attacking than Kimmich, but you know how good is he?
3: Well, he's very good. And I think we can see that now Niko Kovac has sort of come onto this system, what an integral part he is. I mean, if you look at his past and, and how influential he's been for other parts, um, for other managers, then you can see why... He's starting to, I don't know, maybe trust him a little bit more. And I think, you know, Diogo, we've gone on about how Bayern is an ageing side. But this particular player, I know he's 27, but he's hitting his prime now. And and Bayern should have a top-level player for the next two to three years. And if they're looking to be resurgent, if they're looking to make up that gap to get back to Dortmund, if they're looking to go further on into the Champions League, um, he's going to be a real key um, cog in, in that Bayern wheel. And um, for me when they've missed him, they've looked a completely different side and I don't think it's any coincidence that now he's back on top form, and look like a side, maybe may similar to that they did the back end of last year. Um, they're certainly a completely different prospect than than what we've seen for most of the start of the season. I think pretty much the Fortuna game was was a defining moment. After that, now buying a four games um, across all competitions without defeat, they're still leaking a lot of goals. But more importantly for them, they're finding the net again.
1: Yeah, we'll let's talk about uh, finding the net and leaking goals. Manu, I, I feel we need to talk a little bit about that Ajax game uh, midweek. Oh, <laughs> quite an eventful one.
2: Oh man, that was a classic. Mm. Um, that was a real classic. That reminded me of the 1990s when when the Dutch when Dutch football was very good, right? And there, there was a real rivalry between German and Dutch football on the on the club level. Um, there was, I mean, that that rivalry goes back all the way to the 70s, and uh, it's it really funny because I spoke to my dad um, midweek, and he said like this game was like a Bayern Ajax clash from the 70s and 80s. You know, when those two sides would just go at each other, um, knife between the teeth. No no prisoners taken just attack 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 um and that made this game so intriguing. It was almost like a derby, and when you know the history between Dutch and German football or the history between the Netherlands and Germany in particular, I've lived in both countries right, and they the the thankfully the rivalry um Or the the hate between the two countries is now very minimal. Um, it's never been more welcomed in the Netherlands than I have been in any other country. So that's thankfully, thankfully completely gone. But on the football pitch, that rivalry very much still exists. Um, and you saw that in that game. And I feel like the players almost gotten the, almost swept away a little bit by it because. It went back and forth. Bayern took the lead. Bayern looked amazing in that first half. And then the second half, Ajax were absolutely resurgent. It was 1-1-2-1. Then Bayern took, took the, took the, uh, draw again. And then Coleman with a fantastic goal to make it 3-2. And then Ajax came back and, you know, in the dying moments could have almost taken the lead again. It was just such open display football, um, that we haven't seen in quite a long time. Now you can take a lot of away from this. Um, I think, the thing that I took away from it is Ajax is a very good side right now and anyone who's gotten them in the Champions League should maybe be worried because they 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 look like the Ajax side from the 1990s. There's a lot of very good young players in this team. Um, of course, Ajax's big problem is that by next year, that side will look completely different because they will probably sell about 50% of those players. Some of them maybe even to Bayern. But right now, they are very strong strides. So um, what I'm taking away from this side is that what we saw, the Bayern side that we saw against Ajax is probably much more reflecting reality of where Bayern are right now than the Hannover result. Um, for me, I, Bayern are definitely improving, especially in attack. They're more creative in attack. They're better going forward. But that defense is leaking goals. Um, and that is something... And I'm curious what you think, Chris, because last year, under Kovac, Eintracht Frankfurt were, were very good, right? But sometimes a little chaotic. And so uh, sometimes you see those elements in this Bayern side.
3: Yeah, you do. Unfortunately, it's, it's not been the best of, of times to be a Bayern defender. Um, I do think they struggle primarily because of, of Boateng and Hummels recently. I think that's been a, a, quite a poor pairing, uh, especially when he's only had three at the back. Uh, if two have been maybe not as trustworthy as, as they could have been, then, then yeah, it's going to open up all sorts of problems. But, uh, That's my main fear for them going further into Europe, I think, is the fact that they are um, so leaky at the back, which you can't be especially at home if we're looking at the away goals. Um, I don't think they'll have a problem scoring and they're showing that at the moment, you know, pumping um, goals past. I know know it's only Hanover and Hanover pretty poor, but it did look like the sort of Bayern that we saw last year. I mean, Kimmich opens the score inside of two minutes and that's the sort of thing um, that we have been used to with Bayern. So, I think if they can shore up that defence, uh, I think they've got a good chance—not uh, just of clawing the gap back to Dortmund, but also going further in both the Pokal and the um and the Champions League. It's just whether they can shore up that back line. But there's a lot of time to work on it now, and between I think when their biggest test is going to be, which is the back end of February.
1: And Manu, you seem to be saying to uh, Chris and I that you think um, maybe by the time that you know. Liverpool and, uh, and Bayern get to that game that um, it could be a little bit different compared to the, the form that both sides have been showing of recent times
2: Yeah, look um, I mean, there's a the elephant in the room the The game in February March, uh, Champions League is drawn out over a full month um, in the round of 16 against Liverpool is going to be a massive test and I think if you look at this Bayern side right now, then Liverpool fans will look at this and say, okay, yeah, that's, that's very doable. But, um, Bayern are Bayern. You know, they are a team that I wrote an an article for Forbes where I listed all the, the problems that Bayern would have replacing Frank Ribéry and Robin. And, and I couldn't believe this when I wrote this, but since Frank Ribéry and Robin have been in this Bayern side, they've failed to reach the final the final four of the Champions League only twice. In the last 10 years, they've always been in the final, they have been eight times in the final four of the Champions League. And that's the, even when they had off seasons, they, they managed to get deep into the Champions League. The last year, Bayern, Dortmund won this, compared to the Bundesliga, Bayern reached the final of the Champions League, where they lost to Chelsea, right? So you can never, ever underestimate this side. This is a side with a ton of experience. This is a side that, um, has shown improvement over the last few weeks. And I think the one thing that I'm looking at right now is that, um, even if they will struggle in the Bundesliga, the side will say, okay, well, by February, March, Dortmund, the gap to Dortmund might be nine points, maybe even more. They will say, okay, well, the one way we can salvage the season is to win the Champions League. And you see that with like, with teams like Real Madrid, right? Teams that have been very good for a long time they can put everything into the Champions League because they have that European experience that they have built over a long, long time. They they can get sort of away with grinding out results in that competition. And then, then there's the big factor, and this is maybe the biggest factor, and Jurgen Klopp addressed this today after the draw is, is the winter break. Um, Bayern have two more big games, and then they have a month, and then Niko Kovac has an entire month to work with this team, and they have an entire month to sort out any weakness that they have in the squad. They have you know, they will be able to get players like Thiago fit. they will get Kingsley Coman back, they will get uh Toliso will come back. Um, they might be able to sort out any issues they are with Boateng and Homeless because of fitness. And um Alfonso Davies is coming in and then maybe another player or two that they will sign in the in the winter to address these issues and then they can work these players into the squad for a four month. And this is what Jürgen Klopp said. It's like this is a big Big advantage for them over that what Liverpool have because Liverpool are fighting for the title. Uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. There's 17 games coming up, um, over the next month and a half or so for Liverpool. It's, it's an enormous amount of footballs and Bayern don't have that issue at all. Um, they will be a lot more rested and a lot more focused. And I think these are things that you have to keep in mind. I think that's why Klopp was a little coy when he was saying, okay, well, this is, this is not a, terrible draw, but it's also not a draw that is going to uh, make him very happy.
1: Yes, indeed. There will be plenty of games until then and, and not or now and then, obviously. Um, If, if we um, then move on and we speak a, a little bit um about Dortmund, obviously, Chris, uh, Dortmund sitting nicely, nine points clear now on top of the uh, table, uh, but it was a difficult game for them against uh, Werder at the weekend. Yeah, well,
3: it it I mean, the results will show that they won 2-1, but at one point, even um, when they were 2-1 up, right by the end, it, it looked like they could still leak. I mean, this is a really good Werder Bremen side who, I think, tested Dortmund. Probably one of the most they've been tested all season. If you take out that Augsburg game, which was just um, a matter of mistakes from both sides, with Paco Alcácer scoring very, very late on. Um, this particular This particular game was... Um, was a real test for them. And I think um Florian felt will be bitterly disappointed that he went away from the Westphalian strategy with absolutely nothing. But once again, we've talked about it from the start of the season. If Dortmund are going to do well this year, they need one man to stay fit throughout. And that's Marco Reus. And I thought he was fantastic. Yet again, he was the main difference, not only with his goal that won it, but also with his movement and his link-up play with um not just those around him but also those behind him so uh, Dortmund are quite rightly flying high crowned the half season champion Um so yeah it's going to be I think it's going to be hard for anybody to catch them at the moment but for for any opposing managers that saw that there is still a tendency with this real fast counter that Dortmund have is they leave them a little bit exposed at the back it's It's a very strange sort of counter-attack style because it's not like they go really, really deep um, and then invite players on and then hit them on the break. It's like this: they can counter from the middle of the field. When that counter-press wins the ball back in the middle of the field, they will press on from there and they will break behind. And and teams are so frightened um, whether to push forward or not or whether to drop deep that they they end up doing nothing and Dortmund just pick them off. And I thought Werder Bremen um, really really stuck with it because, especially for the second half, we might rule out the first half a little, but for the second half, um Werder came out with a side who had no sort of respect for Dortmund's current position on the top of the league. They looked unafraid. Mowald um, had two fantastic opportunities to level the score and and didn't. It was just that final way they couldn't find pass Berkey in the end.
1: And Chris, uh, if, if we look at the two fixtures that they've got before the uh, winter break occurs... Uh, they're away to Fortuna uh, and then they're at home um, rather quickly um, on Friday night um, to uh, Gladbach. Do you see them picking up six points and and you're still having this nine-point advantage going into the break?
3: You would expect so, although the um, Gladbach game is another fantastic matchup with goals galore and it's a hard one to call. I know maybe um, Borussia Mönchengladbach haven't been the best of late and they've dropped a few points here and there, but... I think when they play Dortmund, they certainly raise the game. So that's a fantastic game for everybody to look forward to. Um, you would expect the form that Dortmund are in, that they would steamroll past, uh, the likes of Fortuna Dusseldorf. So we'll have to wait and see. But once again, that's a, another, with well, Derby in essence, isn't it? They're very two cities, very close together. Um, two exceptional set of fans. It's going to be another, another test of their title credentials. I think if they can get through to the winter pause and be nine points ahead, uh, then I think it's going to be very hard for anybody to catch them in the second half of the season. It's going to take some sort of collapse within. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You would imagine that would be the case. Uh, Manu, uh, d- just um, a quick question. Um, we're almost at the half point of the season. What what would you call the first half of the season? I mean, the, the Germans seem to have words for absolutely everything. Is there a particular name for the first half of the season and then the second half of the season?
2: Well, yeah, there's the Hinrunde and the Rückrunde, but I guess you mean the, um, because we've seen that a lot. Um, I guess when Bayern win it, no one really cares anymore. The Herbstmeisterschaft, right? The,
1: uh, fall. Just what th- I was about to say. Yeah. Just, just beat me to
2: it. <laughs> the, uh, fall title as it translates. And, um, people will be saying, like, right fall, well, you know, this, this technically speaking, um, of winter doesn't start till December 21st. I know it's, uh, it's, a uh, technicality but still yeah they won it and um that's usually um a good indication because usually the team that wins the herbstmeisterschaft the um the first you know the 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 first 17 games of the season so to speak the first half has a 69 percent chance of winning the title right so um it's it's a psychological factor and yeah, it's also, a, I mean, a, a good, good German tradition. So, uh, a psychological importance. And it is something that teams like to, um, parade a little bit saying, like, we won the Meisterschaft." And I guess it does get because it, you, know, you, you get the title just before you go into the winter break. Um, going into the winter break, knowing that you're topping the table, um, is, is important when you're doing the preparation for the second half of the season as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it, it can only really do a good thing uh, mentally. You you would imagine going into that break though. Uh just interestingly enough, I, I meant to say to you before the podcast started. You and I quite are quite fond of the uh website and the uh, the predictions on 538. Mm-hmm. Um uh beautiful looking website, but uh, if if you actually go to their Bundesliga prediction, they have a uh, Bayern Munich uh, and Dortmund, 99% that they'll get into the Champions League. I think mm-hmm. that's a given. But to win the league, Bayern 49, Dortmund 48. What do you make of that?
2: I think Nate Silva needs to update his stats.
1: <laughs> 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 that's fair enough. It also gives Gladbach 1%, but uh, we'll not talk about that. But, um, yeah, um, but go- maybe to
2: add to that real quick, Bryce, Goal Impact, who we do quite a lot of work with together, um, they have Dortmund I had 52% I believe. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but that's that's just uh if you're going with numbers. That's uh that's an interesting one as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I suppose everyone's got their their own uh, ways of figuring these things out, but yeah, I'm going to go back to Chris talk a little bit uh, more uh, about Dortmund. Um Well, Dortmund obviously had a a rather good campaign, haven't they, in the Champions League so far? Uh, And and now the draws come out and and they've got Spurs to face next. Um, Someone that they're maybe a little bit familiar with after last season. Chris, you even said that you went uh, to one of the games last year. How do you see them getting on? Do you think this is a favourable draw
3: for Dortmund? Oh, I mean, if you look at who they could have drawn, I, I would have suggested that maybe Tottenham Hotspur fall into that category of, OK, yeah, teams we can beat. Um, I mean, if we look at last season's two matches, um, Tottenham won them comprehensively. 3-1 um, at Wembley. Um, I was there for that in the press box. And then 2-1, um, Dortmund fell to a defeat at home at Signal Aduna Park. I can't see um, it being 5-2 on aggregate. Again, let's put it that way. Dortmund have have strengthened massively. Um, Obviously, Lucien Favre has been at the front end of that. Um, Tottenham are still a really good threat, but they didn't really strengthen in the summer, um, albeit they're third in the Premier League. They're a little bit off the pace of Liverpool and Manchester City. However, if either of those two teams were to slip up, I think Tottenham uh, are poised, ready to take on that challenge. But I mean, it'll certainly be a different matchup than we saw last season. Dortmund were horrendous in the Champions League. I mean, you look at the games they played, uh, those those six match days, the only points they picked up were, were two solitary points against Apoel Nicosia, home and away, and, and that was quite embarrassing for them. And then they obviously fell in to the Europa League after that and went out to Salzburg. So, um, the Peter Bosch stroke, Peter Stoga um, time won't be looked on with fondness, especially at Europe. But I mean, this, this new match, there's all sorts of backdrops to it. Jaden Sancho's going home. They're facing Harry Kane again, who scored three goals last season. Where are Tottenham going to be playing? Are they going to be in their new stadium? If they are, that's a, that's a, a situation that Dortmund will have to deal with because that stadium looks fantastic. They've got a banked wall behind their goals, similar to the yellow wall, although it, it's, it's seated. Um, it can be converted into rail seated should that come in in England. Tottenham Stadium looks phenomenal and they will be a force with if they're playing there, but they're under a, a rush whether that stadium becomes available in time. There's certain um, health and safety issues it's got to go through. It's got to hold two set events beforehand before it can be signed off for UEFA for competition. So if Tottenham have to play that game at Wembley, I think that falls into Dortmund's hand because um, they can't fill it. It's normally two-thirds full, the top tier is empty, um, and you've got... That massive, well, there used to be a running track there many, many a year ago. You've got that massive gap between the side of the pitch and, um, and the players. So I think for Tottenham, they will want to be playing in their new stadium. I think if they're not, um, Dortmund will have an even better chance of going through. But on the whole, uh, yeah, I've seen quite a lot of, of English pundits go for a Tottenham win. I, I really can't see where that's going to come from over two legs, especially with the type of football that that Dortmund are playing. The only upshot of that is, as we've discussed with Bayern and Liverpool, is if Dortmund uh, uh, have got their eye firmly on the Bundesliga and something's happened after the winter break where they're then in a fight, they may want to keep their eye on that. That's the only thing that I could see them maybe um, taking them off the boil for it. But otherwise, for me, I think Dortmund will be very happy with this draw. Chris, I
2: have a question for you because I guess Tottenham have the the same issue really than Liverpool right with many many games and their squad isn't as deep as Dortmund is it?
3: Um, it it's it's not as deep in quality that's one of the main um, criticisms that were levied at uh, uh, Daniel Levy uh, no pun intended there who's the sporting director in charge of transfers um, he's left M- Mario Pochettino with a side that yes they did very well last season but um, but in order to make the step up you would think that people would come in, people would go, and that didn't happen. So um I think if they're at their full strength, Tottenham, there will certainly be a side to be reckoned with. If there's any sort of injury to the likes of Deli Alley or Harry Kane, well then Dortmund will rob this fixture. Yeah, interesting
1: enough, eh? Another game that. um yeah, I think fixtures could play a big part on it in league positions. Um, talking about a team that have struggled with their league position, but actually in Europe did okay. Uh, Manu was, was Schalke. So they managed to come through their group in seconds, didn't they? Just behind Porto beating Galatasaray and Lokomotor Moscow. Um, uh, they've been drawn up against Man City. This could be the end of the, um, the end
3: of the Good night, <laughs>
1: <laughs> is there any way that they can come through this? I mean,
3: any possible? I mean,
1: we've talked about percentage. Is there reasons. a
3: clause in the contract to say that Leroy Sané can't play? That's the only way I can see them <laughs> coming through.
1: I don't think that would matter, would it?
2: Well, oh, it is football. I've seen crazier things. Um That said, I've also seen things that are much easier. Um No, um long and so short, I think that's the end of the road for Schalke.
1: Would you agree that it's possibly been a, a more successful campaign than they may have hoped for or oh, originally God.
2: thought? They'd... I mean, Bryce, have you seen the Champions League group? Um,
1: I, I did. Yeah, see, but I I, I mean, did, if you, if you yeah. offer them that this is the start of the season to get through the group, I'm sure they wouldn't have cared who was in the group as long as they got that far, right?
2: When they saw that, and this is what I said many, many weeks ago on this podcast, if they do not get through this group, then they can't be helped. I mean... Um, I'm sorry, but if you in a group with Loco, Porto and Galatasaray and you do not get through as a German Bundesliga side, and this is no disrespect. I mean, this is, we're talking about one of the uh, three best leagues in the world here, right? Against playing against teams. So, I mean, I, I cover Russian football. Lokomotiv are not very good. Um, Portuguese sides have been atrocious in Europe and uh, the, the, the three big Turkish clubs are all bankrupt, right? So, I'm sorry, but them finishing second in that group is—I consider that a disaster. The way that they handled themselves in that group wasn't very good, um, and it, it very much reflects their league standing in in a lot of ways. I, I reckon that the teams that they were playing—and again, this is no disrespect—but the teams that they were playing against—they are about middle-class teams in the Bundesliga, and that's how I rank Schalke at the moment as well. I mean, they are 13th for a good reason. Me.
1: Chris, we talked about league positions and uh, fixtures coming into it. Obviously, City will have played plenty of uh, fixtures uh, leading up to this one, and you know, is it possible that that could affect them? I know they've got a big squad. I'm, I'm basically clutching at straws here, but and then I suppose the other side of it is, well, Schalke maybe look at their league position with them being so far down in the table, and if things are still difficult, maybe they'll think we need to just concede defeat on this and concentrate in the league.
3: Yeah, you make a good point there, Bryce. That's something, um, I've, I've put into an article, which will be, well, well, it'll be well released by the time this podcast comes out on, um, on what both the Premier League sides and the Bundesliga sides can expect. And, and for Schalke, I think this could be, um, a real, a real problem for them as we stand currently. And we can only talk about current, current times. They're three points above the dreaded 16 playoff, the 16th playoff place. I, I don't think. They're showing enough um, up front or at the back to to maybe ward off that problem at, at the current rate at which it's going. So I think when this competition comes back in late February, early March, they could be in a relegation scrap still, and if they are, the last thing they'll need is a double header against Manchester City because if you're trying to win fixtures and you're trying to overcome relegation, the last thing you need is absolute spanking by one of Pep Guardiola's best sides ever. Um, so I think if, if, if they were there where they are now, if they're around about 13th, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, they could probably do no better than to send a reserve side to this and concentrate fully on Bundesliga survival because I know Manu said it's football and, and things can happen. And yes, granted, I know things can happen, but it would be one of the biggest shocks within the last, I'm going to say four years of the Champions League for Manchester City to go out at the round of 16 stage um, to Schalke in their current form. I mean, maybe to add, if there is a German
2: side that has a history of doing this, it is Schalke. Um, the last time they were in the Champions League, they managed a deep run. Um they were coached by Felix Magath and they were they were fighting relegation and actually managed to reach the finals um of the Champions League and they eliminated the holders into Milan in the in the round um in the, in the uh quarterfinals. So um I'm with you Chris one hundred percent. I think it'd be the, the biggest shock uh in a in a long time in this competition. But um if a German side has a history of doing that, it's Schalke. Um Yet, I don't, this is not me telling anyone to put a bet on it. I'm far from it. I don't, I don't can't see, can't see it happening, especially not the way they're playing, um, under Dominico Totesco. They have been just so, so poor to watch, um, for such a long time now.
3: The thing that frightens me the most for Schalke is obviously I was at the Etihad Stadium the other night to cover, um, Manchester City's game against Hoffenheim for Football Stat mm-hmm. and City put out a pretty much a second string. Okay. Leroy Sané was in it, and um, so was um, Gundogan, and some other good Phil Foden was in there. They had Edison in goal, but in essence, compared to their full-strength eleven, it was a bit of a, a youth team. and And that game should have been four, five, maybe even six. So Manchester City have got such a deep squad that yeah. they can afford to put out, and it's probably it's probably a slight calling them a reserve team. They they don't have an A team and a B team. They've got two A teams.
1: Yeah, very much so that I think the, that run of fixtures between now and then is, isn't exactly going to affect the outcome of this game, is it? But, um, Chris, I, I mentioned, you know, about the, uh, the fixtures, the last two fixtures for Dortmund. I mean, if we look at the last two fixtures before the winter break, uh, for Schalke, I mean, they're home to Leverkusen, who have had a, you know, rather disappointing season as well. And then they're up against Stuttgart. I mean, there's a possibility of them getting some points there and things maybe looking a little bit brighter going into the winter break, is there not?
3: Yeah, there is, but Schalke will need to take, one um, well, need to take, they said nine points, and it would be hard for them to take nine points from three games uh, from two games, but they need, they need to somehow do that. They need to take all six points. Um, and I can see that uh, being difficult. Um, Stuttgart, for all their problems, have looked quite good the last couple of weeks the last match day i thought they played particularly well um mario gomez couldn't buy a goal at one point and all of a sudden he's getting a brace so i think that's probably the wrong time for them to take on stuttgart uh, i think maybe a couple of weeks ago it would have been a certain three points now i think schalke have got a real problem on the hand and another thing that concerns me is this derby day defeat to um to dortmund how much has that psychologically affected them
1: yeah, it's very true. It's, it's funny how football games like that can then play on the mind a little bit, but we'll, we'll leave Schalke alone for the meantime. while we haven't got, um, too much positive to say about them. And we'll, we'll talk about Frankfurt, um, uh, taking on Leverkusen over the weekend. And, uh, well, Frankfurt got back to winning ways. They, they, had, um, had a fantastic season, but then two defeats in a row. Um, Manu, they, this is a positive result for them as, as they, Trying to salvage uh, the great form that they had and, and continue that that push for possibly Champions League football. Yeah,
2: they, they needed to win this game, and um, I thought this this was a fun, this was a very good game to watch um, by both sides. It, it, it described it almost like a wrestling match, um in, in that, that it was just back and forth. It was very physical, but it was also very technical um, at the same time, and it, it was it. It was a game that could have gone either way. Although I have to say, um, in the end that Frankfurt deserved this one because the way, um, Heiko Herrlich set the side up, he, he made all, he came up with all the right conclusions, um, after Frankfurt had taken a 2-0 lead. So it's just maybe a little too late for him. Um, but yeah, Frankfurt looked great. And remember too, they are the first German side to have won six out of six in in the group stage of either the Europa League or Champions League so they look like they're back on track and i think what we also have to keep in mind the two games that they did end up losing i thought that they actually played very well in those two games as well against uh, Hertha and Wolfsburg so um sometimes sometimes results don't go your way especially if you have like, a very congested uh, fixture list right and i think that's what happened to them but i think they are uh, they they Hütter did very well, sort of addressing, okay, well, maybe now we're in a phase where we have to sort of go back to the Niko Kovac fundamentals, which was almost this Atletico Madrid kind of type of football, you know, very physical, fight, bite, um, get into each other's ankles, hurt the opposition when necessary, and that's exactly what they did. the day. I don't want to say they grinded out a result because they actually managed to do it by scoring some wonderful goals, but they got the result out of a very tough
1: match. Yeah, absolutely. This was never going to be an, an easy tie, even if, uh, Leverkusen haven't been at their best this season. Uh, Chris, is is this exactly the, uh, result they need to kind of, you know, boost them into the final few games, uh, before the winter break? And we've mentioned it before, try to get that Champions League spot, you know, and pick up the, the, as many points as they can going into that.
3: Yeah. And I'm in full agreement with Manu, even where they've slipped up recently, they still look very good. And, You know, they are a frightening prospect, I think, for any team to play. Um, and whilst I think they're going very, very well in the Bundesliga, their, their displays in Europe have actually convinced me that, you know, possibly a route into the Champions League for them next season would be to win this competition. I don't think it's beyond them, not the way they've been playing. Um, certainly not winning all their group games. Um, and some of them were at a stroll. They didn't even look tested. So, I think these knockout stages now is going to be uh, a finally a big test for them in Europe. But if they play the sort of football we've seen over the last couple of months especially, um, I really think that the Europa League um could spell um a a nice little earner for Frankfurt come come May um in Baku. Maybe we could be going to Baku to see Frankfurt play, who knows, but at the moment I I wouldn't say that they're um that their best chance of qualifying for the Champions League is solely going to come from their league form because, OK, we've had a few teams drop down from the Champions League now into the Europa League, but Frankfurt have to be taken at face value and I certainly have them down as one of the favourites for that because not only are they playing well at home, they're playing well um, on the road in Europe and I think that's key. Um We've seen Manu covers the... um Covers the post-Soviet space and, and some of those teams are fantastic at home. Let's look at one in the Champions League, for instance, Red Star Belgrade. Phenomenal at home. Absolutely dreadful on the road. And that's where they've fallen down in Europe. And that seems to be a path that's repeated across Europe by some, by some countries. But you can't say that for Frankfurt at the moment. They're, they're showing um, a champion sort of display at home as well as away. So I think that Frankfurt could go a long way. In the in the Europa League price so but then we asked the question will that become a detriment to their league campaign what happens um, if they're in the latter stages of the Europa League do they do they trade one off for the other and, and if so what happens if it goes wrong there's, there's lots to come from Frankfurt and I think it's a really interesting time of the season for them when they come back especially when Europe comes back because if they play it well if Andy Hutter plays it as well, in the coming months as he has done in the last few, I think come our um, review pod at the end of the season, Eintracht Frankfurt will be near the top to be taking team of the season.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad shot at all, Chris, and and a very fair assessment. Um, Manu, we, we know how good um, Eintracht have been. They've been fantastic to watch. Um, and yes, their, their European campaign has, has, has been amazing, really. Uh, but... They come up against uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, you're going to know a bit more about them. What can we expect in that game? What's maybe your prediction? And how good are Shakhtar? I mean, they're, they're ever-present in the Champions League over the years. Um, and are are they a Champions League or the side now playing in the Europa League?
2: Yeah, they are Champions League quality side. Um, they came very close to finish second in that group with. Manchester City, Olympic Lyon and, uh, Hoffenheim, right? The group that we covered very closely. And in the end, it was, it was 1-1 one, one draw, um, even though they had the lead, uh, for, for the, in that game. And, um, they were a bit, bit unfortunate because they got hit by the, the martial law. Uh, martial law was declared in, in Ukraine ahead of this game, which meant that, um, Donetsk had to move again. You know, the Donbass is an, unfortunately a conflict zone, so they can't play there. Um, they played for many years in Lviv, which is in the very western half of the country, in the, the Kapar- uh region. And then they found a home in Kharkiv, and a very good home for them, because a lot of the refugees that have fled the Donbass live in Kharkiv, and it's a Russian-speaking city, uh, like Donetsk is, and it's been a very good home for them. And then for this game, unfortunately, because martial law and Khark- Kharkov was one of the cities hit by martial law, they had to play in... Kiev, um, and that is possibly something that hurt them. It's kind of asking Liverpool to play their final Champions League group stage match in at the Old Trafford. That's the equivalent of it, right? Not an ideal situation. So um, I think that if they had played this game in Kharkov, they would probably advance. Yes, they are a very good side. The negative maybe for them is that they're in a three-month-long winter break. And while a short winter break is good, a long winter break like that is bad. And I think the first leg is actually, I think, the first competitive game in the new year. And that can really hurt you as a, as a side. Like, if if you have to go from 0 to 100 against a team like Frankfurt that is in top form, um, I reckon that... Sh- Frankfurt can make good use of that situation. And I think I'm going to be really curious to see the, the matchup between Adi Hütter and Paulo Fonseca, the Schachter head coach. I think there's going to be a lot in that. And the final thing I think I'm going to say is um both teams actually have won this competition, Bryce. Frankfurt won it in 1980 and Schachter Donetsk won it in 2009.
1: Well, there we go. I've also read earlier today, I believe that it's the third time that the teams will meet in the competition. So there we go. Um, Chris, if we just go to you and, and speak about the other side that we mentioned in Bayer Leverkusen. Well, it, it hasn't been a great season for them, has it? Um, you know, domestically, but, uh, in Europe, things are a little bit more positive. They're through to the next round and they're now going to be playing Krasnodar, a team that Manu will, will probably be able to fill us in a, a little bit further on. But I mean, what, what way can you really sum up their season? I mean, we, we expected big things. Um, it hasn't really happened. Um, it's, it's been quite lackluster, but are they going to be another side that should probably focus on, on the league uh, and domestic fixtures rather than this European campaign?
3: Yeah, most definitely, um, because I think they're, well, they're not in trouble as such. If we look at it now, I, I just don't get the feeling that they're going to go up or down. So maybe the answer to that is no. Maybe the Europa League provides them with uh, a bit of, of pleasure from what has been a pretty painful season. Um but yeah, it's not been the best for them, Bryce. and Okay, I think they were a little unlucky in the weekend against um, Frankfurt. But on the whole, this season, you know, you are where you are in the in the Bundesliga, depending on the results that you get. And and yeah, they've not been particularly good at all. So I would be I would be shocked to see them go any further than the round of 16. Uh, and with the with the fixtures they've got coming up, if they don't get the the, the six points that they need, I think we could see a manager, de- well, sorry, a head coach departure. Um, and there's a couple queuing, but I think they missed the boat with allowing Ralph Passenhutl to move to Southampton. I think he would have been a fantastic fit by Leverkusen.
1: And Manu, I, I take it uh, at that point, we should probably go to you and speak about Krasnodar. Um, again, what type of opponent are they? They're sitting second in the, uh, the Russian Football league, but, um, how good or how bad are they?
2: Yeah, they, they're a very good side. And, um, it, it turns out that not every team I tipped to win the championship chip is going to be cursed like Bayer. And, uh, you know, I guess we don't really want to talk about TAT tip too much more. Um, although I get frequently reminded, uh, right, Chris? Um, anyhow, yeah, I tipped Krasnodar to win the, the Russian title, um, ahead of this season and, um, uh, that tip actually didn't look great about five, six weeks ago because there was a seven, seven point gap between them and Sinead. That gap has now gone down to two points. Um, could have been less if Krasnodar had played, uh, won that final game of the season. Um, they would have actually topped the, the league going into a three month long winter break. And they actually entered the winter break with two thirds of the season played. There's only 10 games left when they come back. Um, Similar caveat that I have with Schachter. Um, both those games against Leverkusen will actually be their first competitive games of 2019. And I think that could provide a big advantage for Leverkusen. I mean, if you have been in a winter break for three months in places like um, Abu Dhabi, um, Spain, Italy, etc., playing friendly games against other Russian teams and other teams from the region, that's not going to provide you the sort of competitive edge that you need to play against a team like Leverkusen. So I think that will maybe give um, an edge to Leverkusen because the the Russian teams in particular have a really hard time getting into that first round um, of European competitions because of that really long winter break. So um, I think Leverkusen are the favorites. The question for me is, and I mean, Chris, you already mentioned it, uh, of who's going to coach this side? Because two defeats and I can't really see them Go on with, with Heiko Herrlich. I mean, I've seen Peter Bosch is being now floated as a potential candidate to replace Heiko Herrlich. Um, we had Bosch last year in Dortmund. That doesn't really spell defense, does it?
3: No, it doesn't. And I don't know if that's a case of going out of the frying pan into the fire. Marco Rose has been linked, but I think we're all expecting him to go to Hoffenheim at some point. Um, I do really genuinely believe that they have made a massive mistake by um, sticking with um, Heiko Herlich for as long as they have. And no disrespect to him, I think it's been a, a bad choice by the uh, Leverkusen upper management, those who sit above the above the coach, um, Rudy Valorettal, I, th- I think it's been a terrible decision. You saw them do it last season. They, they held on to a head coach too long. Um, and now they're in a situation where who's available, who is actually available that can come in and take the club in a forward direction. If you're going to say it's Peter Bosch, I, I, I do think there's little help for Leverkusen because he was horrendous, um, at Dortmund. You saw initially he started very, very well. But once the question started to be asked, once the opposition worked out very quickly, it was as well how Dortmund played under Peter Bosch, they were able to nullify it quite easily. And uh, if we're looking at a team that wants to make a manager or a head coach change to move up the table, if you're going to get Peter Bosch in, I, I really do think that that could help them go down the table.
2: Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look.
0: Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It didn't quite hit it off last year, did he? And Dortmund are happy to uh, move away from Peter Boskamp. I'm, I'm quite surprised to hear that link, if I'm being honest. But, uh, guys, let's uh, talk about RB Leipzig. Yeah, they beat uh, Mainz on Sunday 4-1. Um, some very impressive football, very impressive goals. Um, Manu, uh, Timo Werner, well, he, he seems to have, uh, wowed you with, uh, with one of those goals in particular.
2: I thought both his goals were really good price. Um, and, and what I thought was really impressive about that in the performance is that he openly criticized Ralf Rangnick um, after Leipzig went out in the Europa League against Trondheim. He said, quote, um, You cannot you cannot expect to advance from this Europa League group if you are switching out half the first team. So, um, that's quite a strong statement by him. And, um, I, I bet you internally there was some repercussions for a statement like that. Um, we all know that Rangnick is, is a bit of a hard man. And then, um, he started Werner and Werner, of course, put himself under the spotlight with a statement like that. And then he scores two wonderful goals and he's now has, um, together with a bunch of other players. And there's a bunch of players sitting on 10 goals right now in the Bundesliga. He's now the second uh, leading scorer. Um, so yeah, it's, I think Timo Werner is is definitely showing signs that uh his form from two years ago is, is re-emerging, or if it was ever gone. I mean, he scored 15 goals last year as well for a Leipzig side that wasn't always very good. Um But yeah, I think it's, I thought that statement about him, about the Europa League, and I mean, this is something that we've criticized quite a bit, that they didn't really seem to take that competition serious enough, and that they really seem to focus everything on the league at the moment.
1: Yeah, he certainly has got some of that form back. Um, I I mean, Chris, uh, Manu says that maybe he never lost that form, but I don't think he was maybe um, as explosive as what he had been. Um, Him hitting this form going into a January transfer window, well, well, that creates a possible move away from RB Leipzig or, or just headline talk?
3: I would say that's headline talk at the moment. Um, Leipzig are, are quite keen to keep the players. You can see the the barriers they put up last season or the, even the season before, trying to keep hold of um, of Kater before he left. Uh, they've been linked with players coming in themselves. I would be surprised to see Timo Werner move before the end of the season um, and maybe even after that because players want to work with the best managers and don't forget come the end of the season RB Leipzig are getting one of the best managers there is around not just in Germany but Europe so the talk of um, the talk of players leaving I think is maybe a little exaggerated especially this time of year and even players themselves drop hints occasionally Plus, Pulisic Drop the biggest hint of all recently going, oh, well, you know, maybe I'd like to play in a Premier League in the future. Well, as we've seen with German sides, the, the players don't always hold as much power as they do in other parts of Europe, like England um, and Spain. So I think he will be told, yeah, you're not going anywhere um for a little while yet, as Forsberg was, and, and he's still um at RB Leipzig. So if they've got any aspirations of moving up from fourth, catching up with Bayern, moving on into that, and, um, then they will need to keep hold of their best players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just you know what these column writers are like. I'm sure we'll see him being linked to a plenty of teams because he just does have that quality, doesn't he? He's a very good player. Um, Manu, we talked about RB Leipzig um, being very impressive um, at the weekend. They've got... Uh, Bayern coming up next, and I suppose the question is, um, how do you see that game going midweek? And then, I suppose the follow-up question I'm going to ask after that is to focus a little bit more on Bayern. Is that your Bayern then have Hoffenheim, don't they? Um, going into or sorry, um, they've got Frankfurt. Sorry, getting my teams mixed up. They've got Frankfurt then going into the winter break. I mean, two teams very much on form, tricky opponents how do you see the first game going and then followed by the second
2: yeah that's that's what I meant earlier, I guess with the the real test for Bayern right Hanover was not that at all, and um Leipzig will provide a real test I think chris and i we've', we've dealt now a few times with Ralph rangnick and um his his aspirations to, to what turning this side into um, a big club in German football and um, him going out to sign Nagelsmann is, is just a good example of that. Or him getting rid of Hasenhüttl because Hasenhüttl didn't fulfill everything that was expected of him. It just shows that, right? And the aspirations, of course, are for Rangnick to beat Bayern. And um, so for Leipzig, that will be a fantastic test. And for Bayern, I think this will be the first test in that since that 3-3 draw against Düsseldorf, whether the side is stabilized, um, whether Kovac has actually been able to get this side, play the sort of football that can maybe in the second half of the season still challenge for the title. I think, and I lean myself very right out of the window here, if Bayern not, do not win against Leipzig, the title race for Bayern is over. I think if if Leipzig win that game, and Dortmund win their game against Düsseldorf, the gap is 12 points. Um, I can't see them get back into that if that happens. So for Bayern, this is
1: a must-win game. Chris, would you agree with that? And Would you say that possibly both the games um, going into the winter break are, are must-win games for Bayern?
3: I'm going to be truthful. If Dortmund are carrying on in the same vein as they are, Every game between now and the end of the season is a must-win game for Bayern. Because if they've got any aspirations of of clinging on to the title and winning what would be an incredible seventh back-to-back and probably the best one of them all, um, they're going to need to hope that Dortmund um, drop a number of points and, and hope that they don't drop points at the same time. So for me now, Bryce, whether we're looking at the winter pause or whether we're looking at some time in February, every fixture in the Bundesliga is a must-win for Bayern Munich, and especially for Niko Kovac.
1: I suppose my final question would be, do you see them picking up six points in these uh, next two games? Because they're hard opponents, the opponents that are going to really attack them.
3: If you would have asked me this question two to three weeks ago, I would have said, no, maybe they'll pick up three, maybe they'll pick up four, maybe they'll only pick up one, maybe they won't pick up any, but after watching them um especially after the um Fortuna game and also in Europe. I do think now they've got that little bit of a swagger back. I don't think it's all the way back. I don't think they've got the full FC Hollywood swagger, but they're certainly a different team than maybe two months ago. So I can see them getting maximum points and maybe just giving Dortmund a little reminder that, um hello, we're Bayern Munich and we're not going away just yet. Yeah, I think that's,
1: that's rather well put. And guys, that more or less does it for today's podcast. Um, Manu, uh, there's obviously midweek games, but, uh, what else have you got going on, um, across the football grad network this week?
2: Yeah, and uh, the midweek games, um, we have the first few transfers of the regions that we cover, so there will be some player profiles coming up. And, um yeah, you can find some of my Bundesliga writing, actually, as of last week uh, on uh, Forbes as well. I'm a contributor for them um, on the Bundesliga in particular, so you can find that. Um, I will tweet that out, um, everything that I do for them, on uh, my Twitter account, at Manuel
1: Exciting news, your new role. Yeah. Anyway, com- congratulations. Um, Chris, I know that you've been uh, booking flights to Munich today, but what have you got going on this coming week?
3: Um, well obviously we've got the normal Bundesliga um coverage that we've got on uh Stat via the at Football live handle on twitter um but yeah, a' very busy time of the year for me, Bryce with the Premier League in its um well in it in its busiest time of the year, so plenty going on uh, just as this pod comes out in fact, i'm just putting the finishing touches it now there's um, a sort of preview to the preview. Of the Bundesliga versus the Premier League and the Champions League, so keep an eye out for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, very exciting times and busy times, I suppose. If you're not getting that winter break, okay. um, we will be back um after the uh, final games are played at the weekend with our final podcast of the uh, first half of the season. We will still throw you little podcasts uh, here and there to keep you updated uh, in the winter break but um, um, until then I suppose we're going to have to bid you farewell. Um, I've been your host Bryce Dunn, you can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11 and yeah, until then the final podcast of the opening half of the season. I'll feed Auf then <laughs>
0: Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wäre es ein Rhythmus, als gäbe es ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen.